We are live. Welcome everyone to Connected Learning TV. This is the first webinar, actually conversation, of our January 2016 series titled Maker Ed, Tinkering, Inventing, Learning, which was organized by me, uh, Howard Rheingold. Um, you can find out all about what I do with digital media and learning through rheingold.com slash learning. And I'm really just the uh, convener of a conversation uh, among people who really know uh, this subject matter. I will be the host for each of the Thursday conversations in this four-part series, um, which focuses on maker educators in schools, libraries, and after-school programs who are awakening and feeding interest in discovery, invention, and hands-on learning through new tools and practices. If, uh, if you're watching this, please take a moment to share it with your networks. Today, we're talking with Sylvia Lebo Martinez, Jeff Sturgis, and Tara Tiger Brown about the educational value in encouraging invention and tinkering. Uh, before we dive into our chat, uh, let's go over a couple of quick details. To those watching live right now, uh, we welcome your comments and questions through either the Twitter hashtag Connected Learning or the Q&A feature uh, that you should see within the video player. We'll, we'll do our best to address your questions here in the Hangout. This webinar and, and all of the conversations this month are being co-streamed at the National Writing Project as well. Um, EducatorInnovator.org is the URL for that. So uh, let's start off with introductions. Why don't we start with Tara and then go across the screen. Hi, thanks Howard. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, my name is Tara and my background in terms of tinkering, I started the Los Angeles Makerspace about four years ago here in rainy sort of sunny LA uh, and then uh, we've been working really closely with the Los Angeles Public Library for the last couple of years uh, both running workshops at uh, almost 40 branches and then also training uh, librarians on how they can run maker activities in their after-school programs and uh, an opportunity came out of uh, my work at the LA Makerspace where a lot of people were asking us um, from parents to teachers all over the place, like, where do I get these parts? How do, can I do these activities in my school or after-school program? And so, uh, along with my co-founder, Luz Rivas, um, who founded the DIY Girls, we started KitHub. And we just had our one-year anniversary, and the focus is on um, really professional development and uh, creative electronics kits for kids and lifelong learners. So, thanks. Sylvia? Well, thanks, Howard. I'm really happy to be here. Um, it's a great topic to kick off the new year. Um, my name's Sylvia Martinez. I got uh, started in this a long time ago. I was an electrical engineer. I worked in aerospace and then became a video game programmer. And that kind of introduced me through uh, educational software to the idea of really diving deeply into what is learning. Um, fast forward uh, another few years and um, Gary Steger and I decided to write a book called Invent to Learn to talk about this new, these new maker materials and how they really fit perfectly 
into a progressive, experiential, hands-on, minds-on kind of classroom setting, bringing together the things that he's been doing, like teaching robotics and programming to kids for 30 years, and the things that I've been doing in aerospace and, and engineering and student technology leadership and literacy, um, bringing those together and combining it with the tools and, and te technologies of the maker movement and kind of building a bridge for teachers to understand all this new stuff and how it fit in the classroom. So recently, um, people who've read the book have been, we've been talking to a lot of schools, doing a lot of professional development, doing a lot of keynotes and conferences, and just, you know, spreading the good news about all the fantastic things that schools and teachers are doing around the world and getting kids to do authentic stuff. Great, wonderful. Thank you. I love your book uh, as well. Jeff? Hey, Howard. Thanks very much for having me as well. I'm really excited to be part of such an awesome group of people to talk about this. Uh, it's a subject I'm very passionate about. Um, you know, it, for me, it's not even a question the value of, of tinkering and invention in education, uh, particularly because my history is that I, you know, I didn't really like school that much. So the place of education for me it wasn't a very good fit. But everything that I did outside of school or after school or later on in high school and shop class really was where I learned the most. Um, actually, even in college, my friends would take bets to see how long it would take me to fall asleep in class. So a lot of my learning happened, you know, I would say around the periphery or on the edges of school. Um, so I feel like inventing and uh, tinkering is, is core to, to learning. So whether we call that education or learning is up to you. Um, however, my, so my background, because I wanted uh, things to exist for the me, you know, 20, 30 years ago, I uh, co-founded or I founded a, a hackerspace or a makerspace called the Mount Elliott Makerspace in Detroit. Uh, I was running out of the basement of a church, and that was particularly designed to serve uh, uh, youth mostly, but families in, in areas of particular economic need and social need, and also co-founded a hackerspace in Detroit called Omnicorp Detroit, and that's mostly for uh, adults. And my history before that was actually it was part of a fab lab in the, in the South Bronx called the Sustainable South Bronx Fab Lab, and that was a program which was a uh, integrated into a high school where we designed uh, programming, hacker and tinkering programming around uh, environmental justice and designing for a greener future. So that was also very interesting. And I was also part of the NYC Resistor Hackerspace in New York City when I lived there. And as many folks may know, that is the birthplace of MakerBot. So in terms of people who are tinkering and inventing things and how that uh, can lead to much bigger cultural movements, that was certainly an interesting place to be at that time. Um, so I'm looking forward to the conversation. I'm sure you know I have a lot of stuff to talk about given my history. So um, looking forward to it. You know, I just... Uh, I'm not being humble. I just feel I, I, I ought to su suppress my urge to prompt anything and just let anybody jump in at any point you want. Um, go. Well, well, I guess the first thing... Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I just wanted to say, Howard, you should not be humble because you've had a long history in, in helping people figure this stuff out. And, you know, your role in, in making it clear how digital media and and all the things that are leading to what we're talking about what we're doing were paved the road was paved by you so you know you shouldn't be humble and please don't sit back and uh, we want you and need you in this conversation oh, okay I'm, oh. I'll jump yeah. I'll jump in I promise 
Um, you are much like the mentor for lifelong learning, Howard, yes. because wasn't it like maybe, what, a year and a half ago that you started learning Arduino? You know, oh, yeah. Maybe not even. And I remember the way you did it was that you went out there and you asked people who knew like how to program Arduino and put Arduino components together and you started running webinars to figure it out. Like you brought this community to you. Like that's what you know. And then mm -hmm. you just, you know, grew it out of that. And now look at you. You have this beautiful art project behind yes. you. Yes, it's it's really beyond my my dreams and um I think one thing that we all have in common is that we are personally enthusiastic about the thrill you get when you you stretch a little bit beyond be what you know and you mess with something and and it works. There's a moment there that's you know Jeff met, mentioned education and learning. Well, it's you know we we all get I mean when you learn how to skateboard you get that. It doesn't necessarily happen in school, but also I think what all of us have been passionate about is, well, school was not that interesting to us. This is interesting. How do we get that happening? So uh, I think Jeff was about to jump off in that direction. I promise that I will jump back in. But, but I, you know, this is the first of the series of the, of the month, and I'm sure that there are many people watching us who are somewhat expert at it, and many people would like to get something going because they are also personal enthusiasts but need to explain what I think is is pretty elementary and axiomatic to all of us which is what is the value of of doing it this way of tinkering and inventing uh, yeah I guess my confusion and what I started to say was I'm I'm confused because I, I wonder how it's not valuable you know I, I mean I, I can understand why it's not validated um, you know, in typical school atmosphere, which relies on testing for evaluation of competency or evaluation of knowledge gathered, but um, at least in my experience, and and I would say in typical work environments, well, school and education, as we define it, I believe, is intended to prepare you for work and meet hopefully meaningful work in the real world. And in most situations that I'm aware of, you're not tested. You, you you are given projects and you're you're de, you know it's demanded that you tinker and that you invent and that you create things uh, in many situations that are professional, and in that case the the outcomes are judged by whether or not they work or whether or not they serve the need that has been um, you know that has been posed to you. So in terms of the purpose of education and the purpose of learning, at least as it as it aims towards a professional context. I think that tinkering and inventing it as an early age as possible is very valuable because it's serving you, I think, in a much greater and more powerful way later on, you know, as, as, you, as you go on, but also later on in life. So to me, the larger challenge of education and learning in a, in a formal institutional context that we have in the U.S. is how to, how to embed and how to mesh tinkering and, and uh, tinkering and inventing with learning some of the basics that you do need to know. You know, so you, you've got to know your times tables. You've got to know certain pieces of history to really grasp things. So I'm wondering about that. Well, I, I think that's a really good question. I mean, we have, we have a, 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 you know, a vision of school in everyone's head that 
that came from essentially the Middle Ages, you know, when people didn't even know how to read, so they had to be read to. That's the origin of the, of the lecture. Um, and and yet we and we perpetuate that year after year after year. We all do it, so we do it again, and we do it to our kids, and you know, it becomes part of the culture rather than anything that uh, we know lectures don't work, and yet we still do them. Um, we're just used to it. So it's this people who are really thinking about what learning means and how to do it have to constantly question: Is what I'm doing really supporting the way I believe learning happens? And I think that part of what what I try and talk about in front of educators is that question. What do you believe about learning? Um, and it's so much easier to talk about what to buy and what Arduino and you know what 3D printers. It's so much easier to go shopping and then not think about learning. But what happens is then nothing changes. And I obviously worry that the maker movement is going to be, you know, three years people will say, I bought a 3D printer and nothing happened. And it was like, Okay, going shopping will never change education. We have to constantly, constantly pull the focus back to what do I believe about learning and how do I create the conditions where that's going to happen. And sure, then you talk about curating interesting materials, you talk about bringing in experts, you talk about um, challenging kids with, with interesting things to do and surrounding them with interested you know, people of all ages. Um, but the point is, how do we create those situations in, in, in any day, any age, in school, out of school? I think that's a tough question and a worthwhile question. Yeah, I mean, I found that with GitHub, um, when we first started a year ago, we actually were selling these kits to parents through a subscription service. And then what we discovered was that actually some of these parents were also teachers. And as they were playing and with these kits and learning about electronics at home, they thought, oh, I should try this in my classroom. And so some of them started to do that to the point where they, you know, all of a sudden we saw this opportunity. But one of the blockers for us was that a lot of these teachers said, well, I'm not an engineer. I don't have a background in electronics or science or whatever. Like I have to deal with this common core. I need to deal with lesson plans, all this kind of stuff. So the what we have found and I know some other organizations similar to us have found is that by providing the lesson plans for the teachers along with a little bit of professional development, it really sort of breaks down that barrier for them where it's like, "Okay, I can jump into this. This isn't so hard, you know." And also you know, similar to that is that um, what we found was a lot of them thought they had to start with something like Arduino, right? And like that is very intimidating to many of these teachers. Like, whoa, like not only do I have to deal with like hardware, electronics, and programming, like forget it, like I don't even know. So we actually really took it down a notch and then we brought also paired it with creativity, right? Like most people know do art in school, right? Like everybody colors, does whatever, uses paper markers, that kind of stuff. And so really taking the stuff that you know, you're doing at makerspaces, the creativity part, and adding that to their science curriculum along with like a little bit of like, hey, let's learn about electronics, all of a sudden it just felt like very doable to them. So that's, we found is very, in, we're hopeful that you know, this will can be a continuing trend where you start with something that they know give them the information they need, and then they can kind of go for it. Yeah, definitely. Lesson plans, uh, 
it kind of re removes the vertigo of where where do I start? And of course, you know, all creative teachers are going to 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 mess with it. I I think I've I would put my teacher hat and my student hat on at the same time here because there are two things that in both roles um, I think really apply to what we're talking about here. One is agency. Um, I never thought of myself as someone who could do electronics. That just, you know, not even Arduino, just getting a, a battery and a light together and making a switch and making it happen, it, was, it made me feel, oh, okay, I can do something. That, Likewise, in the classroom, I'd say that I would sum up the 10 years of what I learned teaching college students was um, give them more agency, S support them in taking charge of their learning because they've sort of been trained not to, as Sylvia said, with the, the you know med medieval method of transferring knowledge instead of you know creating a an, an environment which people can can learn. And the and the other part of it is is debugging. Um, I'm a product of uh, the non-tinkering kind of learning world in which you don't spend any time practicing failing. And when you get started with software, I'm, I'm sure this is all second nature to you, but I'm still in beginner's mind with this. The fact that things don't work when, at the beginning, and then you have to figure out why they don't work, that's a kind of a wrenching mind change. And I think those are two issues that all teachers at all levels um, wrestle with in, 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 in some way. It's scary to give agency to students in a lot of settings, but I think you know once you get started, uh, you you discover how powerful it is. And then the other part is I don't really know how do you introduce the, the power of failure in learning to to schools in which you know passing the test is the big deal. Um, yeah, Howard. I mean to to underscore that I th I think what you're talking about you know working with beginner's mind makes me think so much about how um, you know the importance is not in the, in the greatest lesson or, or even the coolest uh, equipment as Tara was saying is is really trying to develop a culture of can do you know and I, I think of it less as giving agency but helping people develop agency in themselves and to me that starts with people and it starts with culture and it starts with words from elders to younger people um, and you know for for teachers, and, and I, I realize that my mother being a teacher, teachers struggle, especially public school teachers, in the context of, you know, trying to fit things to the test. But even if you're doing that, even if you're saying words like, guys, I know you can figure this out, or, you know, I know, I know that you, you just got to keep pounding, you know, that, that idea of persistence and the idea of peer support and helping one another is a culture that I don't think we see too often. And, you know, I, I don't see it often in Detroit. And sometimes I feel like we're, we're bringing it up for the first time in certain communities. And for other, and in other communities, it's very well developed. So it's, it's really interesting to see how that plays out with youth and how it plays out with adults and how you can inject just some positive encouragement and positive forth in, in any project. I mean, with rolled up newspapers and tape and cardboard, and just saying, oh, it doesn't work, that's okay. Try it another way. Keep trying it until it works. And if you need help, ask. Ask your friends, ask your parents, ask your teachers, ask everybody you can until you get to the final result. And then when this final result happens, making sure that you're celebrating it, other people are celebrating it, 
and so that that kid or that adult has the confidence to try it again, and they've moved up one, you know, one bit, you know, to the next. Oh, this took me an hour. I'm ready to do something. It takes me two hours. Or so this took me ten minutes. I'm ready to do something. It takes me twenty minutes. And and I've got a little bit more patience, you know, to to make something happen. I I definitely, you know, when we do professional development, Gary and I do a lot. We have a four-day summer institute um, where pe educators come and they just work on projects the entire time. And some people, everyone has a different style. Some people like start in their comfort zone and then they feel comfortable moving out. Some people say, what's the hardest thing you've got? And then they'll sort of, you know, go, well, that is kind of, you know, it is kind of hard. I'm going to try something a little less hard. And then maybe that's not going to work. I try this. Oh, that worked. Now I'm going to go back. You know, so everyone has these very different styles. And we, because there's no time in school for to do anything, because got to be on the next chapter, got to go to the next thing, we try and force kids through through a step-by-step -step process, even with the best intentions, even with us saying, I want to explain this to you, I want you to understand, you know, the whole process, and then we ask them to lockstep march through a process, and, you know, that's, that's really not how people learn. We've got to find more, you know, flexibility, more, more uh, opportunities for kids to, you know, to be like painters, to step back and look at their work and say, it should be more blue and then decide what blue means and and yet have a teacher whose job it is to keep things moving forward. It's, I'm not talking about chaos, I'm not talking about everyone just doing their own thing. People make that mistake, they go to one extreme to the other. It's like kids are either regimented in desks and rows and they don't talk and they just are lectured to or everyone's just sort of wandering around discovering the Pythagorean theorem. And there's so much in between, you know, and I think it helps teachers to see that that big, um, challenging, blow-your-mind kind of stuff and to help them understand what their comfort zone is and stay in it. So I do like giving teachers things that they're comfortable with, but I also like pushing way the boundaries as far out as possible because you never know what people are going to do. Actually, that reminded me of something where... Um we were at the California STEM Symposium a couple of months ago, and uh, some teachers came by, sort of asking us about, you know, these uh, STEM kits. And some of them said, that, you know, they're English teachers, and there's like, oh, I guess this isn't for me. You know, I teach English. And then we said, well, actually, do you know about notebook hacking? You know, and we sort of explained notebook hacking, this idea of creating a paper circuit and a notebook and lighting things up and adding switches and all this kind of stuff. And in fact, I learned about notebook hacking from the National Writing Project. Thank you, Elise. She was the one, I think, that tweeted about it. I became obsessed with them after I, I started learning about them. And all of a sudden, the English teacher's eyes are lighting up. They're like, oh my gosh, you know, I can incorporate these other subjects into English. And like, it doesn't, you know, it just, you know, it's going to make everything much more interesting. And then she was excited that she would learn something new. So I think that going to what you were saying, Sylvia, about going outside your boundaries, you know, and, but I think there's always that entry. Like, I think of the the makerspace is kind of like that little entryway to maybe the whole like hacker world, which sometimes feels a little bit intimidating, like the hacker spaces in LA are maybe too much for some of the people in here, but the makerspace is that little gateway. I think about that too with, you know, some of like the simpler projects just to get your, you know, get things going and get your foot in the door to something that might be more grandiose. Um, and then also feel very passionate around like the idea of like the 
interest-driven learning piece of it too. Um, I was when you're talking about peer mentoring, Jeff. At the Makerspace, we formed a Scratch Squad. So MIT Media Lab's Scratch programming language is phenomenal and amazing and free. And so um, there's a group at the Makerspace that started the Scratch Squad with kids that knew how to um, program in Scratch. And they go around and they teach other kids how to program in Scratch. And you know some of the uh, teachers and stuff will sit in and learn as well. And they get together in this club and they do this on a frequent basis and so it's something that they're really passionate and they love and so when you can combine like different interests whether maybe it's like writing or you know the scratch programming language or my passion area is around like citizen science and anything to do with the environment then I think that you give sort of there's you give yourself more time because you're so into it that you want to just keep going because it's something that you know um, is important to you. And I see that with the kids too, and even with the teachers, if there's projects that they're really passionate about. Well, all of you are have experience in creating a well literal ge geographic physical space where things happen. And Sylvia mentioned that sweet spot between regimentation and and chaos. And you know, uh, people have have talked and written about this uh, recently, kind of the uh, old apprenticeship model where you, you go and you sweep the floors and notice what the master is doing. How do you, how do you kind of seed that kind of environment to draw people kind of a, away from the chaos but not in a, okay, everybody sit down and listen to me and go through this step-by-step -step manner? How do, you, how do you make that happen? Well, Howard, I can speak a little bit about the Mount Alley Makerspace, and our way of doing that was we, we had a, a mix and sort of a range of all of those things. Um, you know, certainly setting the culture, as Tara talked about, is was really one of the most important things we did, is like saying, look, it's, it's the learn one, teach one, to teach something. You have to help us teach others. We, you know, it can't be just teach, you know, teachers or even masters and apprentices. It's got to be we're all masters and we're all apprentices all the time. Um, but the three offerings we had were awesome shops, which are eight to ten week workshops, two hours a week, uh, where you were learning something specific, like how to program in Scratch, how to learn the Arduino, how to le you know learning about electricity and building wind turbines, or learning to rebuild your bike. So that was rather formal in that there was a mentor-mentee relationship, or you know there was somebody with knowledge handing down um, with no you know, handing down knowledge. And that was structured, but the way that that works so well is, uh, and, and I'll mention the second one, is we also have these, th these things called sprint shops. And that might be a 15-minute to two-hour workshop where you're learning how to solder, which is pretty fast, like 15 minutes to a half an hour, or you're doing something a bit longer, like learning how to build a solar cell charging circuit um, or, you know, a small radio. And, and those, which, again, like the sprint shop was a little bit less formal than the awesome shop. And then the thing that we had last was open shop. So that was now that you've learned things in a bit more of a formal way, informally you could play with whatever we had in the makerspace to make your own projects real. And really, in that case, you're receiving coaching and peer support for your projects. So that was, that was one, one way that specifically we addressed that. But also setting up the culture of can-do and setting up the culture of persistence and courage to try new things and that you've got to ask your friends actually before you ask a mentor. So that was one of the things we posed. But also the second most important thing I think we, we, um, we, we taught to kids was 
how to search for answers on Google. Um, so you know that, and I would say that's probably one of the most valuable things these days is, you know, the information's out there, and it's not just in books anymore. So how do you find those answers? Um, and a, a lot of young people know how to use the internet, but not not everybody, old or young. Um, get to the answers they need or know how to filter the information. So you need so, Howard's crap detector. Did you right. Know yes. that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need to know how to find it and then you need to f know how to figure out whether it is for real. No doubt, no doubt. You know, I think Jeff has touched on a, a couple of really important things that, that are true in, for, in informal and formal uh, learning spaces. Uh, building a culture of learning, a culture of respect for learning, a culture where the attitude that if we don't know, we'll find out to do it together. Um, I know people always ask me the question, like, what's the uh, success factor? What, you know, what makes making work in schools? And I can tell you that all the people I talk to around the world, there's, there's two things that stand out in what they tell me. One is making sure the parents are on board, that you're doing a lot of messaging to the parents to explain that this isn't just fooling around. It's 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 real academics. It's real work. It's not what you do for kids after the real work is done, or for kids who can't do real work. This is the real work of science and engineering. Um, and number two, our student our student teams, student mentors who maybe have a badging system where they are they get they are they learn how to solder and then they can teach soldering to others. But having those um, different levels of expertise available at all levels from all kids, it's not always older to younger. Sometimes a young kid might know something important, you know, and teach it to someone else. Making sure that that's acceptable in your school, that you're not being shushed all the time when you do ask a question. Um, and that, you know, those two things I hear over and over again are critical success factors. I think the other thing you said that was really interesting is you gave examples of a lot of different kinds of time, time slices, right? You can do something that takes an hour or a week or a month or a year. In, in, in school, we, we often try and make everything fit into a semester. And there's lots of good stuff that you can spend a week on. So you have to be, you have to be really careful when you're thinking through these a semester or a year, how can you make those week-long experiences be repeatable? So that as, you know, like you said, if a kid decides to go back to a tool that they used a week or two ago and learned, they can say the makey makey is the right solution for this job. The Arduino is the right solution for this job. And so the teacher constantly say, here's the kit of parts, you can only use this kit of parts. Okay, now we'll put that away. Now today we're doing videos. We only do videos, then we stop doing videos. You know, a lot of schools do this very segmented approach to technology and projects and it doesn't give the kids the agency to choose their solutions, to use the right tools, which is the art of, which is craftsmanship, which is mindfulness, which is thinking about the whole universe of solutions and, and, and having the, the agency to choose any of them. You know, something that I feel like uh, gets missed a lot is the students' participation or whether it's in a classroom makerspace or after school makerspace in actually maintaining that space. Uh, 
And so, like, when I advise on, because there's a ton of new, like, tinkering studios and maker spaces and stuff popping up in schools all over the place now, which is wonderful, and I'm really excited about it. But the first thing they'll say is, okay, I need to hire somebody to run it and then clean it and take care of it and do all these things. I'm like, first of all, I think it's amazing if you're actually going to hire somebody that's going to manage that space. Yes, I love that. Um, but you also like one of going back to mentoring or being an apprentice, like that's such a fabulous job for kids to go in there and maintain that space, right? Like you have to know how to fix those 3D printers because they break all the time. You know, take care of you know your inventory because you need to you know fulfill the materials that all the time. Um, and then like the laser cutter is always that one that everybody spends all the time like trying to figure out how to use. You know and making sure things don't burn down or whatever um, or even with soldering so I just feel like involving the kids in the actual like teaching other kids or even other adults how to use the equipment I think is incredibly valuable and I think that it really gives them more of a sense of just like ownership over that space and wanting to make it something that you know they're really proud of and that they're going to take care of and I learned that because like when we opened the maker space initially like I was the one like cleaning with the rest of the board members and doing all this and then when I finally realized like I can't do this all the time other people need to help and oh by the way if you help then maybe you earn points or something like that that maybe earns you more time on the laser cutter which is you know always has a huge waiting list then like they get really into it so I, I was just throwing that out there because I think it's something that a lot of adults don't think that kids should be involved in the maintenance of the actual space itself and the tools. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's not only a practical help. If you look at the research, and people are always saying, well, what's the research? How do you know this really works? If you look at the research on peer mentoring, it's one of the only interventions that works better in at-risk communities than it does in you know across the board. So I think by combining research, you don't have to ha the research doesn't have to say maker on the cover for you to apply it and for you to make the case that making and tinkering is the way that learning really happens. Things like peer mentoring are well documented and we can pull from that research in, you know, in non-technology situations and use it in, in, in makers and makerspace situations. You know, the, um, I think one thing that is extraordinarily valuable today is that when you talk about peer mentoring, you're you, and you know how to do it, you're actually talking about people you don't know all over the world. Uh, Tara had mentioned this is, this is a, um, you know, you don't have to be a genius to, to, to know this trick. Tara mentioned that when I started trying to learn um, how to do Arduino stuff, I figured out ways to get people who really know what they're talking about to talk about it with me. And I remember, I think this predates web search. In organizations, there's a problem, big organizations, called who knows who knows what. And, you know, as a, a, a freelancer my entire life, and, you know, journalists know this, when you, you're onto a subject, you're not an expert at it, well, you find an expert and talk to them about it. And if you can't find an expert, you ask your network who they know who knows that. And trying to learn programming as a beginner, I can't imagine what it was like before Stack Overflow and before Google. How did you, you know, you can just kind of paste in an error message or you can figure out how to say, how can you, and figuring out how to say it's important. 
and somewhere in the world, some some person who has become your peer because they're talking about it. Maybe they'll tell you about it. Yeah, Howard, that's a really big one. I, I mean, I think what some people don't realize is while the internet is wonderful, I still think people are faster. You know, and I and I I experienced this in a. In my hackerspace in New York, I remember trying to learn uh, certain things in electronics, and electronics were, was it was a very new thing, like you, Howard, learning uh, the Arduino and electronics. And I was trying to figure out how something worked, um, you know, this sort of component. And I was in a room with two other people, and I asked, hey, "Do you guys know how this works?" I just, you know, I've been reading this stuff online. I can't get it. And somebody explained it to me. I said, "I kind of get it." And then somebody else explained it in a different way. And then the same guy who started it explained it in yet a different way. So I got three explanations that were really direct responses to the way that I needed to learn about this thing. And you can get that online and through a video as well. But it may take you a while to find it. So you know, so building a community of people that that can help you out is important. As is learning how to search it on Google in case those people aren't immediately at hand. Um, in relating to forums and other resources that you can search for, I think just as valuable as the peer support, um, you know, that we have space and people are helping out maintaining a community, which I think is incredibly important, um, you know, as a part of peer mentorship or peer support of a space, but also um, teaching people, young and old, to be contributors to those forums and those spaces as well, to not just take from them, but also to be checking them so that they can answer questions as well. And I think there's some insane percentage of only 5% of people or 10% of people actually contribute to forums. They're just kind of reading the answers. So I think building up that percentage, again, is, is building a, a culture of people that are reciprocally helping and from each other and learning from one another, contributing knowledge. You know, I think that, the, that what you're saying is also part of the answer to one of the big objections about hands-on learning. We don't have time. So I've got a class of 45 minutes. I have to tell the kids what to do for 20 minutes. Then we, then they, ha you know, then we. It takes five minutes to clean up, and then there's five minutes of attendance, and they only have 10 minutes to do anything. Well, I can tell you if you're if you're talking to kids for 20 minutes, they're only list. They, you know, somebody hears one minute of this, somebody hears one minute of that. If you just get going and and answer their questions just in time, and have a a a culture where other people can answer their questions or they can look on Google or they can look it up in a book or they can do this you've just gained tremendous time and met their needs in a personalized way so you know I think the, the, that a lot of the objections that people create for this makerspaces are, are all answerable and all solvable in all kinds of different learning situations So, so really quickly, one thing I wanted to add on, Tara was talking earlier about, um, about English teachers saying that this isn't for them. You know, so I, I would like to de-emphasize making as, you know, as, as a framework for talking about inventing and talking about tinkering because tinkering and inventing, I think, I learned very, at a very young age such magical ways to write you know, that were very tinkering and invention oriented where it was actually, a, I think, a, a singer who came into my elementary school who taught us to write poems and write little notes on the side and write little logos. and you know, So he was essentially hacking poetry and writing for us. And I had multiple other teachers that helped us with that. Um, and that was very different from the regimented way of, you know, this is how you write you know, a, a paragraph or something like that. And, 
having those um, those pieces in my arsenal, uh, you know, and that different perspective and different way of looking at writing really helped me, uh, especially with somebody where, as a hands-on learner, as a you know what might someone might call a kinesthetic learner, writing and reading was something that is just not how I absorb knowledge. So I think there's a lot of creative ways we can think about tinkering and uh, and inventing as it pertains to, I guess you know English, the humanities, social studies, or whatever we want to call it. Um, such that they're incorporated together, and it doesn't necessarily involve you know things that we're touching, but how we're doing things in an inventing and a tinkering manner. No, I think like that's really important. Um, we put you know the question out there every once in a while, asking our community what do they want to learn, right? Not what do you want to make, or you know what kind of technology do you want to get your hands on, but what do you want to learn? And we get everything from I want to get better at Excel spreadsheets to I want to learn a new language to you know I want to do some hydroponics or other stuff. It's like all over the map, you know. And we it's not like we have you know a list of like these are this is only what we're going to do like it's just it's what the community wants to do right and so I think it's because they think of it as a different environment for them to learn in that they think works better for them right and I think there's some research that um, Mimi Ito was telling me about where most learning now happens actually outside the classroom so it makes a lot of sense to me you know and, and also I think it really works well for all the lifelong learning that's happening too so um, but I do like it, I really like it when different types of um, interests are paired. I think that's why I'm really excited about like fashion technology. Um, my friend Anouk came in, she's this wonderful fashion tech um, designer and she did a workshop at the Makerspace and we had people coming in that had backgrounds in fashion and people who had backgrounds in electronics or engineering or something and so they got to work together and share that knowledge but they had this common interest so they wanted to make like a cool dress light up or paint itself or whatever and it just like kind of gave me goosebumps like having all these people with different backgrounds working together on something and being so excited and sharing what they know and I think that that's the same for like any type of learning you want to do um, whether it's like that you maybe you're, you want to learn about Excel spreadsheets and then someone else maybe says well did you know that maybe you can write a little script to make that easier for you and all of a sudden they're learning programming right so um, I think like just sort of expanding how we're thinking about what a makerspace is and like it's not a place to go to get your hands on a 3D printer not all makerspaces even have those right it's about what the community wants to come together to learn and to share you know in that learning I mean, I certainly hope that the message is getting out that this isn't just about 3D printing. Um, and, you know, if you look at the National Writing Project, I'd say if you had to, like, pick one set of, you know, standards or ways to think about how, how to do something, the National Writing Project could be applied to everything. The writing process is such a great process, and it's the same process that you could use for inventing and learning about science and doing all of these things. I, you know, I think there's we know so much about how to do this right, and yet we keep stumbling across these things that are just we can't seem to get rid of these these old-fashioned. Um, ways that we we think about learning um, and you know I think it's just a matter of you just have to keep talking and doing things like this and saying them over and over again um, 
and things will change. I mean, I think I think things are going to change. I I'm certainly optimistic about uh, the future and 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 kids being able to really tackle problems that they find interesting with using tools and you know and doing it in school. Hopefully, you know, I I hope that school doesn't become irrelevant. I'm working to make school not irrelevant. And all the things we're doing outside of school and inside of school, I think, are, are have to work. So maybe I'm, you know, maybe I've got blinders on or something, but um, I think they have to work. And and I have, think we have to keep trying to to push these kinds of ideas into anybody who will listen. And, and to be a little bit meta, you know, there's a lot of tinkering and inventing that has to happen within trying to figure out how tinkering and inventing fits, you know, in this context. So, um, and to add to that, I, I really, I, I think there's probably a frustration of, uh, you know, teachers who are burdened by standards and so forth and burdened by the, you know, difficulty fitting things into time. And also, there's, I feel like there's a lot of talk of, like, how do we make everything more enjoyable? And, of course, we want learning to be as enjoyable as possible, but I think getting back to what Tara was saying about, like, helping clean up the space and so forth, I think there's another piece of the culture with being uncomfortable. Um, you know, being comfortable with yourself and, like, trying the things that you can't do in terms of failure, but particularly getting comfortable with... Sometimes you got to slog, you know, like in order to get through things, you've got, you know, you've got to chop wood and you've got to carry water and part of that means sweeping the floor of the makerspace and part of that means doing things that are challenging like learning your times tables. So how can we fold those things together? You know, because if, if education is about preparing you for life, if it is building life skills, you know, life is in a rose garden. So there are difficult things you're going to have to go through in order to get to the greater things, the greater vision that you may want to accomplish. So you, you need to learn how to dream. You need to learn how to, to, to see things that you might want and get there. But part of that is chopping wood, carrying water, sweeping the floor of the makerspace, memorizing your times tables, and, you know, and, and so that you can accomplish these projects, so that you can invent so that you can, in that way, you learn not only these specific things to get your work done, but also you learn how to handle yourself and how to maintain a positive attitude to get through the difficult stuff. Yeah, getting through the stuff that doesn't work, you, you really need someone around who's been through it. It's a, I, I have been involved with a group of people who are have been trying to do things beyond our capabilities, and, of course, we try to draw people in who know what they're doing, but um, when it just doesn't work and we can't figure out how, it's it's much, much easier if there's someone who might not know the answer, but they've been through the process a lot, who can say, who can just encourage you to just continue um, trying to figure out why it's not working. I think just, just, even if you don't know the specifics, just someone there who can say, you know, I know you can get to a solution. I've been through this many, many times. In my experience, it really works. And that's sort of, you know, the students always look to teachers for authority, even if you don't really have it. But if you b believe something like, okay, it's not working, keep messing with it. I, I've done this before, and I know that you eventually you will push on. It's so helpful. It's, it's, it's hard without that. Because um, we're so used to, you know, two plus two equals four. The answers are there somewhere. Right, and you know, I think that 
teachers often say, well, you know, the kids don't know what to do. They keep asking me, and it's like, well, we've, we've trained them to do that. We've trained them to ask how many bullet points, how many pages does my essay have to be, and I think we have to give them time to get over that. If we're flipping the game on them, they're not going to like it, especially the ones who are good at the game. You know, that's what I hear from teachers all the time. It's like, it's, it's my most academically successful students who don't like to hear you cook a turkey till it's done or, you know, you, you do it till it, till it works. They, it, it, it frustrates them because they know how to get an A. And then, and their parents will come in and say, well, what do you mean? There's no step-by-step -step instructions. Well, how, how do we get an A? And I think you have to train, you know, keep sending the message home as well as to the kids that you're not going to tell them every answer that we're going to figure things out you know along the way and that's a process that's ongoing i think we have to lessen the amount of stuff that doesn't matter uh, that kids do you know there's 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 kids spending millions and millions of hours every year working on stuff that doesn't matter and if they have the, the temerity to ask, when do I need this, they get stupid answers like, oh, you'll need that in seventh grade, you know, they're in sixth grade, you'll need it in seventh grade, you'll need it in high school, you'll need it. No, the answer has to be, why do I need to know it now? That's a really valid question. And so, you know, I just have this, this feeling like, if only kids could spend that energy on things that did matter, can you imagine all the fantastic things that they could be doing and working on and getting excited about and solving problems and yeah, you know, it it it, it I think it would be great. You know, Sylvia, that's funny. It reminds me, I was having a conversation with somebody about cars and going to take your driving test in most states, you know. And there's so many things you memorize to pass that test that you you really never use or you flat out don't obey. But still, not part of that test is how to check your oil, how to check the air in your tires, you know, how to do a lot of these things that are highly relevant to driving an automobile and making sure that you'll be do that safely and you can take care of yourself. Um, so I don't know. I, I feel like I want things that maybe we should de-emphasize and I can certainly think of many things that we should um, re-emphasize like how to balance your checkbook, what a credit card is, all these things. Well, I, you know, people are always saying things like, oh, if we taught, you know, baseball like we teach math, we would like show the kids a bat in first grade and a ball in second grade and, you know, have them memorize the rules in third grade and maybe if they, if they go through 12 year, years of that, we'd actually let them run out on the field and play a game of baseball. It's like everyone says, well, that's stupid. And yet, that's exactly what we do to kids is we give them this sort of theoretical, decontextualized information about stuff because we think it, they need basics when they need experience. And out of that experience, they can develop their own questions and say, "What do I, do I care about this? Is this interesting? Where do I go next? You know, why is the sky blue? How high is the moon? You know, all these things that they can tackle. And they can tackle today even better than they ever could before with Google and tools and technology. Yeah, I think, like, the sort of the relevancy is really important. And it, it's why I'm very passionate about the citizen science projects. 
um, that we do, like here in Los Angeles, a huge concern is at Porter Ranch where there's all this gas coming out and there's people very sick. And I know that, um, you know, Luce, my co-founder at Kehub, and she founded DIY Girls, you know, their offices are very near to Porter Ranch in the Valley and she knows there's a lot of kids around there and then near freeways that um, have asthma and so she's going to be working on a project with these girls to go get their air sensors and go collect the data and put it on a map you know to go see what's going on and it's similar to the work that my husband does with SafeCast after Fukushima where they collect all this radiation data around the world so people can see what the radiation levels are and like that's the kind of thing it's like you know it's important, you know. So if you if you like, okay, you're gonna go figure out what you know, the air quality is. Let's like figure out how to put your kit together, go collect the data, analyze the data, talk about it, the data with other people. Like that's just an amazing way to be part of your community and civic engagement and learning a little bit of science and technology along the way. That's actually relevant to them, and they get it. And it's like right now it matters to them and it matters to their family and it matters to their little neighbor friend. So that's where like I want to see more of that and you know where there's projects in the community that kids can get involved in and not just in their little lab in their classroom but like getting outside you know and seeing what's happening how can I get involved. Do you, do you foresee GitHub getting to the place where you, you're going to enlist your small community or large army of citizen scientists as, as part of that uh, process? I mean, you know, maybe 24 months into your, your GitHub experience, you begin going out and, and doing things like monitoring the environment. What, well, that, that's actually before GitHub where I was heading, so I think I'm getting back there now because we actually are selling the SafeCast kits and they're coming out with an air quality kit pretty soon and I actually have a hydrophone kit in there. So it's kind of like, what does Tara love? Okay, let's all like the things to do in the environment, you know, and like that's just the community that, I, you know, I think you, you end up kind of gravitating to the communities that, you know, and the things that you're interested in and somehow you make you know your work a part of that and I feel just fortunate that that's all coming together so well I think you know that's that's the uber theme here is is enthusiasm but you know something that you're enthusiastic about you can really encourage others to to, to learn about yeah agreed yeah and the world has become so small, you know, like I talk to people all over the world now, you know, and we share these common interests and, you know, trying to solve similar problems, right? So it's like so localized, but at the same time, it's so globalized, right? And that's what I think is really, really neat. And, you know, young people are concerned, and again, they don't have the sense of agency. There's all these big things happening to the environment. We're worried about it, but uh, I guess we're supposed to leave it to the adults to, to fix the world that we're supposed to live in. You know, actually going out and gathering some data and and saying, look, this is happening in our community. We can prove it. Do something about it. Hey, that can happen. You you've yeah. proved that it can happen. Yeah. Um, so we got five minutes left, and what I I propose this. I I want to say a few words about what we're going to do next week, and I I will try to do it so quickly that everyone has time to have a a, a last word before the top of the hour. So let me just mention that. Um, Next week, we're going to be talking about getting started with uh, making learning and where to go from there. I mean, obviously, we've talked about that a little bit uh, today. 
another all-star really interesting group. We've got A.J. Almaguer, who is an independent maker and a former engineering educator of the Tech Hive Team Program. We've got Lisa Brahms, who's Director of Learning and Research at the Children's Museum of Pittsburgh. Cherry Shi is Senior Researcher at the, the Concord Consortium and Founder of the Tech Hive Team Program. Kylie Pepler, Assistant Professor of Learning Sciences and Director of the Creativity Labs at Indiana University Bloomington. And Luz Rivas, uh, uh, Tara's uh, co-founder of uh, GitHub and the founder and director of DIY Girls. So another really great group. Um, we've got a, a few minutes left. What do you all want to say? I'll, I think this is the the the, the thing you know that that could possibly push education back in a direction that it needs to go. And the, the number of teachers who walk up to me and say, this is the way that kids really learn. I know it, and now I have the tools to do it. People are listening to me, and I'm going to make this change. And look, maybe it's rose-colored glasses. Maybe, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a self-selected group. But I really feel that, that this is true. And I know absolutely for a fact that kids need to have agency and need to be empowered in what they do. And I also know that you can't have empowered students without empowered teachers. Teachers who are in control of their classroom and their curriculum, and they're, we're not going to have an empowered youth with script reading robot teachers who, you know, or pushing play on a YouTube video. We absolutely have to have to be in this together. Adults, children, parents, teachers, educators, everybody has a part to play in this. And and I, I just hope that, you know, I can keep spreading out spreading this message and I'm so thankful for give, you giving me this platform and I'm go. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to say if you're a parent, a teacher, facilitator, just an enthusiast and you don't know how to get started or you just want to chat, feel free to reach out to me. I'm at Tara, T-A-R-A on Twitter. Happy to chat, point you in the right direction. I want to be helpful. And Howard, thank you. I always love webinars with you and um, I think you're amazing. So thank you so much and good luck out there. <laughs> and I, I, I guess the one thing I have to say is I think one of the most important components of, uh, of education, but also in the context of making and tinkering and inventing, is less on the tools and less on the stuff and the fancy stuff that you can buy and where you can shop and spend your money, and more on the culture you can develop and the people that you can get to join you. you know, so I think if there's money available and if there's time available and if there's energy available, and I, you know, I particularly I'm always trying to put myself in the in, a, uh, in the shoes of a public school teacher in a really challenging environment. Um, you know, even if you're doing something really small, it could be rolled up paper, uh, rolled up newspapers and tape, and making skyscrapers and figuring out how, who can make the tallest skyscraper, the most interesting skyscraper with rolled up newspapers. But building, you know, that's a cheap way to do something, but also encouraging people to uh, to help one another, to learn from each other. And to, to be persistent and keep you know keep making this stuff happen. So I think culture and people is probably the most component, most important component of learning and education. I went to a workshop when I was eight years old that did the, the rolled up newspaper thing, no tape, you know, and uh, and, <laughs> and I had my I had my Stanford students do it too. And yeah. It's you know it's simple and 
it's amazing. I mean, a group of three people try to figure out how to how to to make something higher than the group of three people they can see down the hall. That's hacking. And yeah. and, I have, and thank you so much. This has been, a, I think, an example of what we're talking about. We really didn't have much of an agenda, and once we got rolling, I think we covered a lot of things that people are going to find useful to know. Hope so. Thanks very much, Howard. All right, Thanks. folks. It's such a pleasure dealing with all of you, and I, and I know our, our paths will cross again soon. Absolutely. Hope so. Okay. Uh, Bye. Uh, Thank you.